I just say I watched. Oh, I watched the first episode of sort of on the lost train of thought. Uh, I watched the first episode of the season of Alone that's on Netflix. Oh yeah, yeah, it was fucking great. I loved. Is this the season? Did you watch the season that's on Netflix? Yes, it's the quote unquote Arctic one. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Love, I love the guy in the first episode. Who he's that? He's the old man. He's like, give me two weeks. I'm gonna have a moose hunted. I'm going to have him butchered. He's going to be my, he's going to sustain me for several months. And he's like, we got some wood nymphs among us. We've got them. <laughs> and then he's like, I'm going to honor them by talking to the tree. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, like, like making fun of the hippies. Yeah. And then like 10 minutes later, he just goes, ah, <laughs> and he breaks his fucking leg. It really reminded me of, um, <laughs> of, of classic, you know, early YouTube sensation, grape stomper lady. Yeah, he's, he's just like, oh, <laughs> and then he yeah, I, out after four days, and he's like, I did the same thing back in 1987. Is that really in the first episode that he taps yeah. out? Yeah, yeah, that's funny, man. I uh, I had forgotten, but yeah, I I didn't finish the season, didn't finish the first season, but I should hop back in because it's a it's a fun show. Yeah, no, it's real good. Um, There's some real, yeah, just re- real kooky cast of characters. Yeah. And it it does, so I maybe I mentioned this before, but they kind of, because it's been airing for a little while now, uh, they kind of metagame it in that, you know, I, one of them mentions like, oh, I didn't bring a bow because in previous seasons, it was more effective to just, you know, fish and like trap small game. But I won't spoil it completely but there is some cool big game hunting that goes down later so oh, nice i can't yeah. wait yeah yeah i love this show also on netflix meat eater where this guy he exists solely on meat he kills and uh he goes around hunting like elk and uh some like caribou and shit and then there's one episode where he just like goes off with some guy and kills like 50 squirrels for a squirrel cookout <laughs> it's uh, it's fucking great yeah, you said you had watched. You said you had watched They Live. Oh yeah, that was fucking great. Yeah, what a fun one. I I, I love that movie. It's yeah, it's I, so perfectly on the nose. Yeah, so most nights when I was staying with with Paige's family, we would eat dinner. I would eat an edible. I also uh, got other people to occasionally buy edibles, mm-hmm. and we would just like pick a movie. And Paige was normally working. So I would be able to sort of commandeer the movie because Paige's mom was very much just like, yeah, I'll watch whatever. So I got They Live. I got uh, Lost Boys, the 1987 uh, Joel Schumacher vampire classic, which I'd never mm-hmm. seen and, and yeah. really enjoyed. Uh, and then I got uh, Escape from New York also. Nice. I uh, I think recently someone tried to accuse John Carpenter of uh, like engaging in just kind of like vulgar anti-Semitism with they live. So uh, what I was reading about it, cause I remember hearing about that. So it was a bunch of like neo-Nazis sort of propagated that they live creatures were Jews. And it was mm-hmm. about, you know, the Jews hidden among the white race. Uh, John Carpenter like flat out said like, that's not what it is. This movie's not even really about, like Wall Street or whatever, it's about yuppies. It's about like you know, 80s, oh man, eighties consumerism culture. Yeah, um, and these like horrible yuppies that are 
like infesting everywhere. Um, but then a little while after that, are you familiar on Twitter with Noah Berlatsky? Uh, name rings a bell as, yeah, as a, he, but you know, I'm, ju- I'm just a lurker. Yeah, no, he's kind of like a writer who sort of tries to play both sides of the like liberal left split or whatever. Oh, so, fun. Like, so like he'll say he's a socialist, but he'll also, you know, argue in support of Sadie Doyle or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'll, you know, say he supports Bernie, but also Bernie Bros and Chapo Trap Owls are vile, ruining American discourse. Yeah, sure. Um, so he, like me, is Jewish and sort of went in on that. Yeah, John, Car- like they live actually is anti-Semitic. It actually is playing on anti-Semitic tropes, even if John Carpenter didn't mean to, because you can't, you can't use those illusions without bringing it up. And he was pretty, pretty roundly like crushed for it because it is. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, that argumentation seems just like the meeting point of bad faith actors and just like genuine dumbasses. <laughs> just yeah. like, yeah, you know. Well, and, and Noah kind of like also, he's, he's a classic, like play both sides or with, and he like fashions himself a, a media critic and a comic books critic. He's sort of like, Oh the God! Thinking, the the thinking man's he, he's written some really wild stuff, like um he occasionally he's one of those people who just like throws out the most iconoclastic opinions, uh thinkable but will occasionally get them right. Mm-hmm. So he wrote something about how like Schindler's List was an incredibly anti-Semitic film, and I read it and I was like, God damn, Noah is so batshit crazy that he landed on something here. <laughs> What's um, what's that onion onion headline like? Yeah, uh, tragic. World's Someone worst person you... makes a good point. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's a classic. Like uh, when like Ben Shapiro says something that's like definitely going to come true just because like the world is as stupid as him. It's like yeah, yeah classic example of that. Um, but yeah, um, so Noah re- revitalized from like a left perspective the fact that. Um, they live as anti-Semitic. And again, it was just like this. It's exactly what you said. Like you're either an incredibly bad faith actor. You're incredibly stupid. or You're just incredibly calculated and saying something for the specific purpose of getting people to pile on you on Twitter. (laughs) So you can then, you know, write your next column about how toxic Bernie bros or whatever. A bit of columns, A, B, and C probably with most of those. Uh, Did you, did you see the clip of, the documentary the the zizek documentary or not not by him but starring him uh uh the pervert's guide to ideology yeah i've not seen that is there is there a big they live section oh yeah it's it starts off with a they live section with some like just incredible lines like i'll make sure to check it out every day i'm eating from the dumpster the dumpster is ideology (laughs) <laughs> and it, it's it's just like uh, it it makes some like it makes some kind of obvious but kind of still like cogent points about you, you know that really long fight scene yeah where, yeah, where yeah. he's tr- he's trying to get his friend to try in the glasses how you know yeah. how uh, stepping out of your ideology or examining it is painful that kind of thing yeah that's pretty interesting. Uh yeah, highly recommended. That's that's probably that's probably one of my favorite movies. 
I'll check it out. And let's let's aim to do that for Lost right now on <laughs> on the Lost Me podcast. Um, we're here. It's Ben and Spencer, um, and we're going to talk about the episode uh, "The Moth." Um, the Moth. The Moth, which like Lost doesn't always use like these big metaphors, but when they do. It's done in the most like clumsy and ham-fisted <laughs> way possible. Yeah, I we could get that out of the way just right at the start and recognize a lot of good in this episode. Uh, a lot of that coming from Dominic Monaghan. He was great. What like what worked for you from him? I found those uh, those scenes where he is begging Locke, uh, starting with the scene where he's begging Locke for his drugs back. You know, mm-hmm. of course, of course, it, it's a little absurd that he always calls it his drugs. Yeah, it's just like okay, that's a thing anyone does. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I I found I found the the scenes between him and Locke, especially the ones where he's just kind of like plaintively like begging him, uh, and then reeling himself back once Locke offers that that kind of uh, very Locke esque little like personal trial of you can ask me three times and I'll give it to you on the third. Yeah. I, I, I found Monaghan's performance pretty, pretty moving. Oh, he's good. I mean, he kind of has become a joke in Hollywood. I feel like, like, so do you remember seeing him in the last star Wars, the awful rise of Skywalker? No, uh, but so he, I mean, I, I watched that off a torrent later, like paying half attention. Uh, okay. So. so he's in it and he just plays a random, uh, like person in the rebellion. And the reason he's in it is because he won a world cup bet against JJ Abrams. Jesus. And so it's like, that's both. That's what JJ Abrams has come to and what star Wars has come to. And also sort of what Dominic Monaghan has come to. He's (laughs) betting with Yankees on soccer to, to get movie roles. Wow. Um, but I yeah, love even Monaghan though he's he's even such a the, character. The second uh, flashback scene, not to get ahead of ourselves, where uh, you know after after his his fight with his brother in the uh, like makeup room, uh, where yeah. he's staring into the mirror, kind of uh, losing it a bit. Even you know, a, kind of on the one hand, a hilarious image, like fingernails painted different colors. Yeah, like, I was gonna say, yeah. This. Such a great detail. Yes, and the, like the, divorced guy bracelets on. Yep. Uh, Very like late two thousand sort of post Brit pop. We can talk about the music in a minute, but like that sort of look of like guys who were trying to be Oasis five years too late. That you, yes. you like you absolutely saw in bands like this. But yeah, e- even even then, uh, pretty pretty compelling like uh, performance. Uh, yeah. No, I thought he was great. Um, yeah. in this episode and he uh, becomes you know a fan favorite and uh, Charlie episodes are generally pretty fun there's a couple there's one clunker in there but Charlie episodes are normally some of the best of a season um, so I'm glad that you that you dug it what'd you think of uh, how they did Charlie and his brother sort of that uh, again to sort of get back we can get into drive shaft in a minute but you know it's clearly supposed to evoke the Gallagher brothers oh yeah from, I mean the uh, guy's from, name is Liam right yeah yes <laughs> um guy's name is liam you know the guitar player is the is the the brains of the operation but the singer gets all the attention they're from manchester they're these mm. two you know sort of football hooligan looking guys 
Uh, how, what do you think of the way they did that, and also just of you know how they how they portrayed uh, Liam's character in in relation to Charlie? I will say I wasn't actually there was no real Oasis connection payoff for me because if you are going to do the Gallagher's, they need to actually act like soccer hooligan, like oh, just yeah, like they complete need, dumbasses. They need but, to come to blows and like heckle each other from the balcony. Yes. Yeah. No, you're right. They tried. They they couldn't make. They couldn't go full Gallagher because they can't have Charlie be an unlikable character. Yeah, yes. That would be incredible if they went full Gallagher and we just had to live with that for the entirety of Lost. <laughs> we had to we had to deal with like uh a a Leon, a Leon, Noel Gallagher type just screaming, "Oi, potato!" at everyone on the island. They could also I was thinking as I was watching it, they could almost leave Sawyer completely unchanged and in his reveal just like uh make him just like a kid rock type i would i would love that and it would would be it would be incredible if he just like you know never told anyone about it yeah but anyway um, um but yeah so i i appreciated everything about the whole uh their characterization of drive shaft but it wasn't quite you know the gallagher brothers for me but that's yeah that's no, fine that's fair I can that's forgive fair. it that. Uh, what is that song? What What is that song they're singing? You all, uh, everybody. You all, everybody. So I'll give you I'll give you a little bit of of lore here, mm-hmm. and uh, and also go into uh, one thing that I have sort of locked in my my steel trap brain for ephemera of a, a funny incident from around this time. So supposedly when they were writing the song we're coming up with what the song would be for charlie first off in the pilot charlie sings a line from it and he does it in this girly falsetto which is not in the song really and that's because yeah that's not how it's sung in the song it's a completely different melody it's in a totally different range sounds nothing like it it's just the line you all everybody and that's because when the pilot was filmed they hadn't come up with the music yet they just knew the song was going to be called "You All Everybody," and so J.J. Uh, Abrams said to Char- said to Dominic Monaghan, "Yeah, it's called You All Everybody." The chorus is just you singing that over and over. Just do something. So that's, that's pretty funny. In the pilot, it's I'm going to do my awful singing voice here. Charlie goes, "You All Everybody," "You All Everybody." It's completely. <laughs> unlike what what's in the in the actual episode so uh these line is you all everybody acting like the stupid people wearing expensive clothes and supposedly that was a line on the phil donahue show in the late (laughs) 80s that an angry audience member just said and it became like a kind of famous clip of this very angry audience member screaming you all everybody acting like the stupid people wearing expensive clothes wow so J.J. Abrams and uh, Jack Bender, who is one of the executive producers, and Damon Lindelof used that and gave it to a songwriter to uh, put to to music. I, um, you know, that's funny because like that that line about like you know that line sounded like if you were making up a generic kind of uh, uh, like Brit pop like early yeah. 2000s line you might stumble upon. So, yeah. no, it, yeah. it, it worked. Yeah. 
So let's let's do let's do two things here. First, let me let me do the thing about Dominic Monaghan. Um, so you know how sometimes actors sort of identify so much with their characters that they start to think they are them. Like sort of like Bradley Whitford thinks he actually worked in the White House and that the West Wing is real. Um, Dominic Monaghan definitely took on some of that with Charlie. So I remember uh, an interview okay. he gave in like 2004 where he was talking about the song and he's like, yeah, me and my buddy Jade, we wrote a song called Windows and Vines and we gave it to the producers and they thought it was really, really good. But instead they went with this sort of oasisy kind of basic song that's you all, everybody. Because that was really more like where Drive Shaft was. <laughs> wow, that's great. <laughs> so he Dominic is Monaghan, being Charlie in that Dom- moment. Exactly. Dominic Monaghan kind of actually came to embody Charlie as a human being. It was very, very fun. Well, that that's great because like usually when you are often when you see that, it's like, yeah, like you, like you mentioned, someone from the West Wing, like uh, pretending they are the president and can speak to uh, Americans yeah. as that. Uh, that's great. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, so let, let's talk about the drive shaft of it all. Do, do you like the song? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> not 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 at all. Yeah, I kind of love it. I kind of love how like how sort of campy it is as this parody of post Britpop. I kind of I kind of absolutely love it. You're feeling it, man. Is there a full recorded version? There's not. I was Paige actually just asked me that the other day. There is not a full recorded version of it. It's not like uh, that thing you do where there is a real song called that thing you do. Uh, this is this is just the snippet. That's all you get. But uh, you all, everybody, is, has a big big role to come in the show. I think you'll I think you'll get some kicks out of it. Well, I uh, I I like the, the reversal they do with his his brother uh, straightening out. Yeah, uh, no, that was I, that I remember wa- I remember watching this the first time and uh, thinking that was like a good little little twist at the end that Liam turned out good and Charlie went down the bad couldn't get off the bad path. Yeah, hard to hard to uh, imagine his character as a religious person, you know, as yeah. someone who was in their I don't know twenties or thirties by two thousand four. It's just like, all right, that's I don't know, hard to believe. But uh, I think I'm here part for of it. That, I think part of that is sort of the classic fascination that Jewish writers have with deeply Christian men. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, so Lind- Lindelof and and Abrams are are both Jewish, as am I. Just FYI, in case anybody's thinking I'm doing some sort of yeah. uh, psychoanalysis of a case. I'm like, did you think I'm skull measuring or something? But uh, yeah, like there's a sort of classic thing where Jewish writers like to put in these like deeply religious, but flawed Catholic men as, as characters, because it's sort of like so other to them and sort of like representative of another part of America, I think. Um, I um... or, or England in this case, but you know what I mean? Before we move on from Drive Shaft, I was just imagining like uh, how my life would change if I walked around. You know, once we're uh, as we're all getting back to normal and uh, socializing in limited ways, if I just uh, whenever I saw old friends, I just wore a shirt that said "Music Slut" on it. <laughs> just I never really... mentioned it. <laughs> I was gonna mention the Music Slut shirt. My goodness. 
that speak speaking of again like just great costuming in this episode like perfect choices for all the characters in that like the like guys around the set and the groupies backstage all look like perfect for like 2003 2002 yeah and it's just like there's nothing there's nothing there's nothing more shallow and just like laughable to me than a guy who is somehow still like you know rock and roll man there's just you know just some about it you know i love that i I I believe in the healing power of rock and roll yeah yeah it's like it's it's a very it's a very boomer thing and when you see it in a character like charlie it's kind of weird music slut (laughs) yeah um (laughs) yeah that's 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 a great shirt (coughs) so then let's let's sort of just we've sort of talked about some of it but let's like keep going through the charlie stuff and then we'll get to the like jack and kate stuff and then we'll Mm -hmm. sort of join them up at the end um so what do you, you talked about how you liked the Locke and Charlie scenes, but specifically uh, I love the scene first where he uses Charlie as bait for the boar. And then how just throughout the episode, Locke is always next to that boar, just like covered <laughs> in blood, slowly carving and curing. Yeah. It's, just, it's, a, it's a very like uh, sort of little like, like business or whatever that the uh, script writer put in there. That's uh Sort of so that Locke would always be doing something when he was talking to Charlie. Mm-hmm. When that conversation about the moth that he, you know, that that little point he makes, he he comes off he he comes off almost as as a bit of a social Darwinist. Yeah, which uh, would be ironic, you know, given his given his background. But I yeah. don't know. It, it could it could be it could just as easily be be kind of a uh, God helps those who help themselves kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's sort of more what it is. Um, in a lot of ways, it's based on how Locke's character is presented um, in other things. Um, and then, you know, Charlie uh, sort of get, getting in the way and Hurley tells him to get out of the way and makes him move his guitar. And, uh, you know, he's you know going all in on Jack about, you know, saying he can do things. Sort of, I thought that was also a good performance by Dominic Monaghan, sort of the slow unraveling of it all. Yeah, and you know they they really hammer home. You know, I, even Sawyer has a line like "Keep doing whatever it is you do here." Yeah, uh, it's. I'm very glad that there, at least as far as maybe I'm forgetting one, but there hasn't been a moment where they where Charlie is a playing is playing the acoustic guitar, and we are expected to take it seriously or yeah. think it is anything other than laughable. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll say again, this is gonna be a little little sneak preview. There is a moment at some point in this uh show where there is a very funny Charlie music moment that you will really love. Hell just, yes. uh, just putting that out there for you. Um so one, one funny moment I, I enjoyed after after the you know the cave-in the cave-in occurs and uh Charlie is running back to to gather help to get Kate specifically I think right yeah when he's going yeah. to the beach mm-hmm. uh, they have this great this great kind of almost fourth wall breaking moment with the red shirts like yeah. Michael turns and he's just like we need help hey Scott and uh, you know yeah a an unnamed guy goes oh I, I'm I'm not Scott I'm Steve that's Scott you know yeah it's it, them calling attention to 
the fact that there is this just pool of uh, <laughs> unnamed characters they're going to use as resources. Yeah. Uh, very funny moment. Yeah, no, I like that. They That's something I think I told you that the the producers were very sort of open about the fact that they knew how stupid it was, that there were 20 other survivors who just did nothing and had nothing to do with the main action. Yeah, well, I, I guess I'm pleasantly surprised that the show knows that about itself from the start. You yeah, know? they, they wink at it pretty early. Fun. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so then I think uh, we'll sort of join all three plot lines up at the end, but um, there was all the stuff with Sawyer and Kate and Saeed um, and getting the laptop battery and all that. Um, how do you, you feel about the sort of evolving... Uh, stuff with Saeed especially speaking of that plot line and the show displaying an awareness early on of things I assumed it wouldn't come to later uh, there's that conversation Saeed and Kate have uh, where he's just like our plane broken half in the sky no one yeah. is that lucky uh, so to some to some extent they're already asking the question or Posing the question, like, is all as it seems? Yep. Uh, could they be here for any other reason? And in that sense, it it's it's a marker that the show from the start, it's like the showrunners themselves don't know the answer to this. Uh, yes. Because if they if they did that, if they did, they wouldn't feel the need to kind of layer in these questions in a writerly way. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. It's interesting stuff. I appreciated how it almost seemed as if with Shannon they were just they were just setting her up to fail. It's like yeah. giving her any task, you know, you would think giving her or, you know, Sawyer eventually picking up one, picking up a task, uh, you would think that the show is setting them up to fail, but of course no, they pull it off and uh Saeed gets, it's almost like the vaudeville cane just reaches, reaches <laughs> yep. from, from behind the curtain, just, and just bops him on the head. So yep. very so funny any, moment. Any predictions, thoughts, or amusings about what or who might have hit Saeed? <laughs> I got nothing, man. Um, it could be a holdover from uh, the, you know, the the French people he's looking for. Yep. It could be the island. It yep. could be a yep. second group of survivors. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll tell you this: it's not the island. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I yeah. I didn't. I didn't actually mean that one because that yeah that stick seemed wielded uh yeah no, but like know. again like in watching this show whenever there's a mystery always in the back of your head you have to think could it just be the island so that is a good instinct to have <laughs> okay as we keep going all right so that's, yeah, a, that's a that's a nice new mystery introduced i thought yeah so that sort of takes care of the everything leading up to the end um we've got the cave-in and then kate getting back what did you make of uh, sort of Michael, especially in this episode? He sort of takes like a leadership role, I guess, for the first time. Um, well, uh, yeah, it, it was it was interesting how they're they're kind of they're kind of passing the leadership hat in small ways to basically every named character. I mean, not yeah. not everyone, uh, which is interesting. 
it seems very clear that we are setting up for some kind of uh son michael tryst uh mm-hmm. with her with her uh going against her husband's wishes to uh wear that kind of skimpy blouse yeah like and and kind of you know making sustained eye contact with Michael, uh, we're definitely we're definitely heading towards that, and it's been pretty well telegraphed. Uh, yeah. So I'm interested there. Uh, it was it was funny how it's just like I spent seven years as a construction worker. Uh, everybody start grabbing rocks. <laughs> you know that that was like that was the the kind of uh, yeah. unique. You're right. The, like, uh, the expertise he brought wasn't so much about construction as it was, like, organization and bureaucracy. With yeah, the, like, but his... On, four off, bringing water to each other. His, his son got to see him being more useful. It, 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 was, it was a nice moment. Uh, it was... The cave-in itself was so cartoonish. It was, it was, like, it was like something that would... It, it was just like some kind of legends of the hidden temple or just kind yep. of like Hanna Barbera plot device shit. And it was very yeah. funny to me how it, near the end, uh, Jack, who despite being pinned under, you know, a, a you would think like just bone shattering rock. <laughs> yeah. is chilling. He's fine. <laughs> you know, just pull his arm back into the socket. But he has this line, uh, after everything is resolved, uh, he's talking to Katie. He's like, this was a fluke. Uh, Michael checked. Uh, he says the rest of the cave is okay. And, he, he, you know, he may as well be just saying this was a plot device. Uh, yep. Michael checked. The cave's, the cave's going to be good for now. You're absolutely right. The whole, the whole cave and shit was, it was very funny. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that one thing that does work for me about Lost is that even when things like that happen, I almost don't care. Like, in, in other shows, if something was so clearly, like, a phony plot device, it would, like, really bug me. But in Lost, everything's just so bonkers that it's like, yeah, you know what? We may as well let them do that. Yeah, the island needs it or ABC needs it. Yeah, I mean, to be yeah, clear, whenever I, point, whenever I point out that's, that stuff, who cares is how I approach... The last person I am trying to be in these moments is the... Like these are the cinema sins they pulled. Uh, that wouldn't <laughs> yeah. go off like that. Uh, yeah, that's no, I liter- literally the worst way to approach uh, television. Uh, yeah, it, it's the the Neil deGrasse Tyson epic guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other sort of thing to mention with relation to the cave-in, and also to sort of get back to the uh, sort of relationship with Michael and Son that you talked about. Uh, the I feel like the love quatrangle is is sort of narrowing to a triangle i feel like they're edging saeed out and it's going to be kate jack and sawyer as the main love triangle and i can also just sort of tell you that's what happens it's very clear within a couple episodes if you weren't picking up on it by now oh um, no i mean it's impossible not to pick up on in that you know it's another heavy-handed thing about this episode is sawyer you know, you would think someone like him would, uh, let's say a better written Sawyer would have been able to express some anxiety or jealousy over Kate liking Jack, you know, in more subtle ways, but he literally, uh, has lines with Kate. So he's just like, 
what about you and Mr. Mr. Jack boy? Uh, yeah. Like, it's just like, yeah, yeah. Asking directly is pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, I also, we've sort of talked about antiquated uh, insults from, from Sawyer. I liked how he just outright called Saeed Muhammad. In this yes. One. Yes, more more and more of the writers just it's just like okay, well which uh which uh really clunky uh dig at Middle Easterners are we going to going to try and uh fit in here? Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um and then sort of the last thing in the episode we've been talked about is getting back to Charlie him, you know, actually throwing his drugs in the fire, Jack sort of helping him with the rehab uh and the withdrawal. Uh, what do you what do you think about the end for Charlie here and his uh you know his moving forward? What do you what do you want to see from him? What are you expecting from him? Well, it was uh, it's interesting. I mean, this the withdrawal was coming either way. Yeah. Uh, you know, if if not if not eight days after the crash, it would be nine or ten or. 15 i don't know yeah Yeah. i don't know how long that tiny pouch was you know supposed to reasonably last him but that was coming anyway and so hurley is coming in as this kind of heavy-handed like i'm going to give people trials i'm going to help them along finding what they need to find learning what they need to learn and uh, you know the whole the whole confrontation was lock orchestrated uh yeah because it, it, it would have happened anyway it's just this way Locke offers him control over it offers him agency in in it so uh interesting to see Locke as that kind of as that kind of force for character development within the show uh he's almost he's almost acting like a writer himself yeah yeah, that was that was kind of yeah. Weird. No, it's, I think it's a pretty good episode. It's not as you know, it's like like you said, you know, not not every sub- episode is going to be like walkabout where sort of things move forward massively in terms of like mythology or you really get mind fucked. But I think it's a nice, solid character episode. I actually really like this one. Yeah, and you know who is who is wielding the gnarled uh, shillelagh? Gnarled stick. Yeah, no, that is a good <laughs> one. That's a that's a big mystery that. Uh, so um, well, you... I guess we'll I guess we'll find out. Um, we'll find we'll out. Keep, we'll keep going. Um, so yeah, uh, the next episode is I believe entitled. Give me one second. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the next episode is called Confidence Man, and it's the first Sawyer episode. So um, oh, I'm really excited for yeah. it. It's great. It if you've been digging Sawyer so far, you will dig this episode. Yeah, he is. He's one of my favorites for sure. And awesome. Charlie, Charlie is one of my favorites now too. Good. Um, okay. Well, we'll uh, talk to you guys later. If you like the podcast and you're listening, that's great. Uh, tell other people that you like it. Up to like uh, vote for it or review it, whatever the fuck it is, um, wherever you're listening to it. And we hope you listen again. Uh, talk to you guys later.